Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Saturday, time for an episode from The Vault. This one originally aired uh, January 31st, 2023, and Rob, this was your interview with Roman Mars of the podcast 99% Invisible. Yeah, great chat, great podcast, great book. Uh, So I hope everyone enjoys. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb, and I have an interview for you this week that I conducted with none other than Roman Mars, uh, the podcast host and author, uh, host of the 99% Invisible podcast and co-author of the book, The 99% Invisible City. So it was a, it was a real treat to set down virtually with uh, Roman Mars here and discuss uh, 99% Invisible, both uh, the podcast and the book, um, The 99% Invisible City, uh, discussing podcasting in general, um, design in general. It's a fun chat, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, Roman. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I want to start by by stating the obvious that a lot of um, our listeners to Stuff to Blow Your Mind don't really need an introduction or even a, a reintroduction uh, <laughs> to you and your show. But for anyone out there who isn't aware, what is 99% Invisible and what does the title mean? 99% Invisible is about all the thought that goes into things most people don't think about. The idea is that, you know, even these big things like buildings um, that, you know, they may be massive, but the story behind them is still 99% invisible. And that's where it comes from. I I was, uh, when I first started, it it sort of started as a show about architecture and design. And it still is. I think design is still its mandate. But our vision of what is designed 
is uh, quite broad. It's sort of any human-made thing mm-hmm. is, is designed. And so uh, when I first started, I gathered this collection of different types of designers, a product designer, an architect, a landscape designer, and asked them, like, what is the unifying theme to what you do? And I was going to try to name the show what that was, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to use the word design. For some reason, I just wanted to avoid it and make something more um, poetic and evocative. And um, they came to the conclusion that if they're doing their jobs right, uh, their job is 99% invisible. And so that's what the, the show became. I think I heard the show for the first time on uh, Radio Lab, and I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. This would have been back in 2011. Yeah, yeah. They did us a real service <laughs> by <laughs> introducing us to a lot of people. I mean, um, Jad and, and the folks who were working on Radiolab at the time, um, we, we kind of came up together in the public radio trenches. And so um, that was just about the time when we started running the shows. And so um, I think there was a little bit of a, a backslapping, a friendly, uh, you know, helping out a, a brother in arms in that scenario. <laughs> but they did us a real good service of introducing us uh, to their audience. Radio Lab always impressed me with its exceptional audio production, its sound design, mm-hmm. uh, a show that had a particular vision for, I think, how sound design could be used to help explain a topic. And I, I tend to think of 99% Invisible as existing, you know, within, you know, on the same shelf in the similar category of podcast or radio show. So I was wondering, like, what what is your philosophy on 99% Invisible sound design? Well, you know, it, it varies. I mean, what I like... I like I like things to be radiophonic, which to me means if you were to read a transcript of the show, you wouldn't fully get what the show is trying to convey. You know, like mm-hmm. there has to be the audio element, the sound of someone's voice, the sound of someone's passion, you know, and then the music and, you know, like in a little bit of the ambient and field tape, you know, tell a different story than just the words being said. You know, we we just do it to serve the story, you know, that you can definitely overdo it. You can sort of call a lot of attention to sound design. I think we sort of uh, pitch it the way I personally like it. Like, I like a good amount of music. I like mm-hmm. switching voices. You know, like I like, you know, I talk, another person talks, another person talks. It keeps the ear interested. I think there's some mm-hmm. sort of, uh, there's ways that when you're conveying information, um, varying that so that the ear doesn't get bored and then you sort of your mind drifts off is really important but we also kind of play it by ear like there isn't like a huge um i don't know just like a standard operating procedure or a certain mandate that we when it comes to sound design we we are really talented you know um, composer in swan real and uh engineer in martin gonzalez and you know they just make it beautiful and uh and it just feels good to me it was always the the show I always wanted in in terms of the way it sounds. And have changes or, or trends in the podcasting industry affected the way you approach things at all? I don't know about the changes in podcasting. I mean, you know, to say that, I mean, I like the show the way it is because I think it serves the way the show is. Um, that is not to say that I don't love things that aren't produced to our extent. Like my, my favorite podcasts are two people talking, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and there's something really lovely about that. Um, and so to me, there's just always like, there are these different trends or, you know, just like buckets of, of podcasts that do different things and do them well. And, um, and I think they all can coexist kind of nicely. I mean, the main thing that happened with my show is that it was really designed for 
radio. Like I, mm-hmm. I made it for public radio. Um, the original episodes are four minutes long because they fit into a slot that mm-hmm. would go into uh, morning edition. And and then I was just like, well, I guess I'll put this out as a podcast because whatever, might as well. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And then, you know, and I say we, <laughs> there was no we, it was just me at this point <laughs> for many, many, many years. It was just me. And so, um, and then when it started to find a life as a podcast, um, it was like, well, let's just keep in that. Like, let's make that a little bit longer because I don't have to make it four minutes when it becomes a podcast. And then it gets, it just grows and grows and grows. And if eventually, uh, you know, uh, a switch flipped where the primary audience was the podcast audience, which didn't have to adhere to some, to some time of radio clock. Um, and I was cutting a version for the radio. Mm. Um, and and then it sort of was off to the races and they sort of now every story is what it is. Um, and so in a way, podcasting liberated me from what is the constraint of like every type of broadcast journalist, which is like you're basically either cutting to fit a time or filling to make a time is like a huge part of your job as a producer. And I don't really do that anymore based on some sort of artificial constraint. I still do that based off of uh, my taste. Like I still like things to be tight and, you know, be purposeful in their length. So in that sense, podcasting really, really changed and and made it. So like now the average show is, it's like 35, 40 minutes long. It's like 10 times longer. Like it's really, it's really something. Um, but the show has kind of had its own trajectory, um, that I, I don't know if it really follows the vicissitudes of, of podcasting in, in general, but, Mm -hmm. but, I'm, I'm sure I'm influenced by it some way. Anytime I uh, listen to the show or in, engage with 99% Invisible content, I feel like I, I leave it with my eyes just a little more open to the design around me. Do you ever feel like or or hope that you're initiating listeners into sort of a different understanding of the world? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And and it, and I know that it, it it's effective because it's been effective with me. Like, you know, I studied lots of things to get to where I am. I, I'm, uh, I've been a journalist now for, for 20 years, but before that I was working on a PhD in genetics. I, I studied a lot of things. Um, I didn't have a real specific <laughs> knowledge of, of design or architecture. I was just a person who would like go on the architecture tour if I was in a city, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've always approached it as a journalist and as a fan and I've noticed that the show has changed me over the years of making it. Like as I've told these stories about all the thought that goes into things that most people pass by without noticing, I've felt myself becoming more sort of keenly aware of the world and how it functions and actually kind of keenly aware of how well we're taken care of in the world in a certain way. Like it's turned me into a more optimistic person to do this show because, you know, a lot of people put a lot of care into things so you don't die, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like pretty consistently, or so that you can operate smoothly in this world. And we bump against the things that are poorly designed, and we notice those. We don't notice the 99% invisible things that are so well designed that they pass our notice. And so 
it has changed the way I view the world making the show. And what I've heard from people has changed the way that they they look at the world. And that's super satisfying because I think it like it really does improve your outlook of the world to think about the design of things. I mean, you've been doing the show long enough that you have listeners out there who have grown up with the show, right? <laughs> yeah, have, totally. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have someone who um who works on the show now, Jacob Multanana Medina, and um her stepfather, you know, had her listen to the show as a kid, you know, like I think it was like junior high or high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah, it's absurd. Yeah. And a lot of people have grown up with it and it's uh it's it's pretty satisfying to to have them. But when they show up and they're in their twenties, I'm blown away by that. So now um I guess on the other end of the spectrum, you you, you still have people coming to the podcast who are new to it. Of course and you've covered so many design topics over the years. Um I I, I wonder what your recommendation is for people who are new to it. Like I know on your website at 99percentinvisible.org, you you have a nice explore section that allows you to sort of check out areas by topic. But in general, like do you tend to steer people towards the beginning, towards the most recent or a particular foundational episode? Never the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like I feel like when people tell me that they've gone back and listened to all of them, I'm like, Oh, maybe I should take those down because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's worth it. Um, but I I think that I mostly say to listen to the most recent one. I mean, the, the thing about an ongoing series is that no one episode can um, sort of encapsulate what you do. What you do with an ongoing series is you're telling the story over time. And it's like this weird regression plot where it's like, here's a episode kind of like this and here's an episode kind of like this and then you draw a line through that regression plot and that is the thesis of your show and so no one point you know like really exemplifies that you know especially you know especially when you know as makers you're like well that's like uh, that's about an 80 percent of what i wanted it to be or that's Mm -hmm. you know whatever and so mostly i tell people to listen to the latest one and you know we have a few classics like there's this one called structural integrity that won a lot of awards that i think is a is a good episode about you know a building almost falling down and you know that's always exciting and uh what i don't want people to do is um in the beginning i think it's fine to go search through things that you know you're interested in and go Mm -hmm. listen to them but almost the point of the show is that we're daring you with how boring the subject is. <laughs> and what we're trying to do is, you know, is the production is sort of creating this delta between how boring an idea is and how we're going to present it to make it so that you really, really, truly care about it. Um, and so don't read the description and go, nah, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Like try, if you read the description and go, that's not for me, try just one of those and see if I can convince you that this is interesting and applies to you in some way. That's that's the main thing I, I want from people when they try the show out. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. 
Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I'm a little late to the party here, but I recently picked up a copy of the book, The 99% Invisible City, uh, that you co-authored with Kirk Colstead. And it's, yeah, it's a thoroughly enjoyable and in, insightful read, uh, you know, highlighting the details of the, the modern world. And get going and uh, matching with what, with what you just said, there were, you know, there were certainly sections of it that I knew that I was going to be into, into anything dealing with, say, like uh, underground infrastructure and um, like the whole section on uh, infrastructure disguised as buildings and so forth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's so much in it where suddenly there'll be a, a section of the, of the book that is dealing with something that I completely take for granted sometimes every day. And it's ultimately a, a fascinating and illuminating topic like, um, like traffic circles, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the goal is that we sort of like, um, we could lure you in with some things that you might be interested in and then, uh, and then we sort of lull you into <laughs> <laughs> trying to pay attention to other things. And the book was really interesting to make because I've been making audio for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think 
I feel like I was approached about making a book, like episode five of the mm-hmm. podcast. There was this sort of sense that books are the inevitable, like, I don't know, prize or, or something. Like, yeah. I didn't understand that I just, I really wanted to make a podcast. Um, and so, but it took us for a long time to do it. Uh, one of the reasons w- was, you know, the the partnership and making it with with Kurt Colstead. It was required that, you know, he work on it and be excited about it. Um, and then the other was, like, I'm really into design, like in a real sense. And and to me, it's like the show is designed to be a podcast and trying to, you know, creating some kind of deprecated, you know, transcription version of it was it had no interest to me. But there was a certain point where the volume of the things that we covered, audio is not really useful for like scrubbing through and like it's experiential, but it's not like, oh, I remember this thing about curb cuts. What's the name of that episode? And where do I find it? And what is it? And do I have mm-hmm. 20 minutes to listen to it? And and stuff. And there, there was just a point where all the stuff that we had covered and the sort of territory we've staked out of our view of the world wasn't being served by linear audio anymore. And a book was kind of like felt like it was natural and necessary and good. And so, um, so that's that's what the book became. And so, and it has a lot of stuff that's from the show in it, but also a lot of like new stuff that we can't cover because, you know, like as much as I enjoy the perversity of um, covering a lot of visual stuff in an audio medium Mm -hmm. um, to highlight the storiness of it versus the aesthetics of things. Um, There's some things that are just impossible to cover and, and things like roundabouts where you try to describe the magic roundabout, which is Mm -hmm. like circles and circles and circles. And, and it's like, you can kind of get it, but I don't know if you can really visualize it until, um, you know, you get some, some pictures of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was definitely a part of, uh, in the book where I was very thankful for the illustration and and there are plenty of other places where you're talking about something and you can look at the the illustration and be like, Oh yeah, that one, that, that's what they're talking about. I've seen that thing, that particular star shape or, or, or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Exactly. It does require a little bit of, of, um, uh, a little bit of help. (laughs) Yeah. So it's interesting that it sounded like it was kind of, um, I don't want to say a daunting task, but uh, like a, a, a task. Uh, it was hugely daunting. It yeah. was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's really, really hard. There's like, there's this, mm-hmm. this saying that I heard as we were making uh, the book that was uh, that a takeoff of the teach a man to fish kind of thing. Teach a man to fish and then he'll. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Or mm-hmm. give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll, he'll eat for a lifetime. Um, it's uh, uh, give a person a book. They'll read for a week, uh, teach a person to write a book. They'll never enjoy anything for the rest of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, really hard. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, Curly brought it all together. I mean, in terms of like the writing and the kind of um, organizing and project managing, like yeah, he really threw himself into it in a way that it never would have happened. Because one of the problems with a really long deadline that a book gives you, you know, like a year long deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, it has its own problems, but when you have a weekly deadline of a show at the same time, it's, mm. it's always possible to occupy yourself with the immediate deadline and put off the the big deadline. And, uh, so anyway, it was really hard. <laughs> so. Well, well, like I say, the, the, the finished product, uh, is, is excellent. And I, you, you, you covered, uh, uh, this already, but the, 
I guess when one initially hears about um, a, a podcast becoming a book, it's easy to think, well, okay, this is, like you say, this, it's just something that, um, that had to happen. This is like the inevitable sort of cash in or the inevitable even evolution of the thing. Uh, but but it, yeah, this, this doesn't feel forced at all. It's very absorbable and also very just visually stylish. Thank you. I was really uh, obviously interested in the, in the visuals of it. And, and our publisher was too. They were, you know, because I was just like, you do understand that like, designy people listen to our show and if the <laughs> book is ugly they will never forgive you and they sort of connected us with uh, patrick vale who is the illustrator who worked on you know um hundreds of different illustrations both big and small to, to demonstrate what was going on but also just to kind of set the tone of it to, you mm -hmm. know the feel of it is 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 both kind of like precise but also it has a little bit of an abstraction to it in in some instances and I think it's a beautiful object and you're always trying to figure out what to do when you create anything or are you creating something like ephemeral and immediate or are you creating like a, a permanent and beautiful object and, and it, there's a balance of that when it comes to audio all the time because you, you could fuss over it endlessly to make it a beautiful object and you know it's kind of fleeting and, and, and ephemeral mm -hmm. no matter what you do. <laughs> um, but when you put all the effort into a book it, it, it is like it's incumbent I think to, to make it, I don't know, something somewhat precious because of all these just resources going into it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy with it, even though it had a a little bit of an issue to figure out of 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 being, you know, kind of fish nor fowl. Like it, it isn't really a coffee table book. It it is a, a book of stories. They don't have to be read all all together in a row. But they build on each other when they are read in a row, and it, it you you kind of had to serve lots of different audiences simultaneously. And again, mm -hmm. this was something that like Kurt and I had just endless meetings about, just the structure of the thing, um, independent of the writing, um, to make it all work. So anyway, I'm I'm glad you liked it. I'm sort of going on about it. <laughs> oh no, no, this is all fascinating. Yeah, I have the, the physical version here, and uh, mm -hmm. there's a digital version, but there is also an audio book. Obviously, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There is, yeah. What was what was that like? Then turning it back into audio? it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I mean, like I've been doing voiceover, you know, and narration for for twenty something years at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, reading an audiobook is the hardest version of that, I, <laughs> I think. And, and even though, and this is my own, you know, like style in our own writing. So it, you know, I know the material better. But even that was exhausting. I was realizing that how little I talk in a row, even when I record narration or do do interviews. That like I was like, oh great, I'll just knock out a couple hours of reading or whatever, you know, every few days. But I was exhausted by it. It was so hard. And when and when any author, and I know a fair number of authors now, mm -hmm. that um, you know, ask me about you know narrating their own work, I'm just like, unless you really want to, like just avoid it <laughs> it's, it's really it's really hard but you know the publishers and and I, and I know the audience um they're used to the sound of my voice i think it for some of them it gives them a certain amount of comfort and um it seemed important that it, it be me to read it so i'm glad with the product i i'm glad we did it um i'm all, i'm also glad that we appended an episode of the show um at the end of the audiobook just because part of me felt like if you went away thinking that me reading this book is the show, hmm. you don't have a full concept of what the show is. And so I wanted to make sure that was present there. And so uh, I think it's a nice thing to have. And I think if, if somebody's like, 
oh, I really love 99% Invisible. I want to listen to 11 hours of it in a row. Um, it does serve that. <laughs> um, but it was it, it was extremely hard. I, I couldn't believe how hard it was. I was so self-conscious about it that, um, you know, we had an independent, um, you know, company kind of cut it together, like the, who, who worked for the publisher. And I would pre-edit it because I would mess up so much that I would, I would, I would send like an edited version for them to go edit again. <laughs> Cause I was just like, I'm not this bad at this normally. I should be <laughs> anyway. I didn't want anyone to hear it. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed a hundred thousand miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. So the title, The 99% Invisible City, uh, does this leave open the possibility for future volumes dealing with different arrays of topics? Yeah, that was the idea. In fact, when we went out and pitched it originally, I pitched it as kind of a, a set of, of books, like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe one about cities, maybe one about sort of um, uh, roads and 
you know, byways and highways type of thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and then about sort of vernacular architecture and specific to places. Um, we ended up sort of like making the city one, like incorporate a lot of that stuff already. Like uh, as, as soon as we went out with it, people were like, whoa, 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 why don't you just get one book out <laughs> instead of like plan your trilogy? Mm-hmm. And um, they were totally right. But, you know, this goes back to the, you know, the original name to begin with is like, I was making a show about design. I wanted it to have this name, 99% Invisible, but I thought it was so evocative that I could do a season about science. I could do a season about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many things that, you know, in terms of explanatory journalism that need to be explained better. And most of them are pretty invisible to most of us. So it kind of applies to a lot of things. And so I could totally see, uh, you know, a series of books in, in different ways or a kid's book version or, or something oh, like yeah. that. I, I'm, uh, I'm open to it, but it, it honestly hasn't, uh, the internal drive is, is, hasn't quite like rebuilt to like, to like, Oh my God, I really want to go through that again. Uh, now the book deals a lot with the space where design exists between kind of, I guess, government and law on one side and user desire and experience on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you alluded to, 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 to one half of this uh, earlier talking about how, how safer the world feels uh, with a lot of the designs we have in place. Yeah. Um, I know we can't really place a value judgment on design itself, but does design seem to largely have a trajectory toward user safety and happiness? Well, I would say so. I mean, design design is about functionality and and it sort of depends on what master it is serving at a certain moment as mm-hmm. to whether or not it is serving uh, one type of audience versus another uh, type of audience or user mm-hmm. rather. And so, you know, you could say some of those things in the real world, they, they work at cross purposes. So, I mean, we just did a, a little segment of an episode that Delaney Hall did on the show about this idea of strodes, which is like a portmanteau between street and roads. Mm. And the idea here is that uh, a road is a conveyance to get someone from one place to the other as quickly as possible. A street is a place that you occupy and live and there are stores on it and park benches and things like mm-hmm. that. And when something is truly a road, like a highway to get from one place to the other, it, it works well. When something's truly a street and um, it is for um, loitering and hanging out and to being in places, um, it works well. When things are strodes, when they're designed to go through quickly, but they have all these uh, people in the way mm-hmm. and um, stores that people are coming in and out of and stuff like that, then they work poorly and they tend to be really dangerous. So you could say, well, it was designed poorly or, you know, it's it's sort of a little bit semantic or like how you place the emphasis of it. You know, I would say that that's the, the tyranny of thoughtless design creates a strode versus somebody really tried to make it this way on purpose, you mm-hmm. know? And so we do end up with things at the end which are poorly designed, that are dangerous, that, that do not make the world a better place. Um, they are probably created from a constraint from this type of constituency, applying it in this way and then another one to this way. And it creates this sort of Frankenstein, which is a poorly designed thing. And that is a, you know, a version of cultural and, you know, product evolution that is a result of, you know, people putting all their two cents in to create something that is is not very functional for most people. But I do believe that when you do 
think of safety and care in mind so that we do a good job of creating those things in the end and, and actually anticipating things that uh, you may not anticipate and hopefully never have to anticipate when you encounter them in the real world, you know, like that, that there are these safety things in place that hopefully just make the world a better place, make you safer, but, but hopefully you never have to consider whether or not a signpost is a breakaway post or mm. whether or not uh, trees along the side of the road, you know, like, <laughs> you know, they're there to make you feel crowded so that therefore you do not go very fast you know mm-hmm. they're meant to add some agitation to you roundabouts um like you mentioned are a perfect example i mean one of the reasons why roundabouts are so safe is because they feel so awful <laughs> you know mm-hmm. when you enter into one you have to be really aware and being aware and making the built environment um break you out of your you know like maybe your sort of road zombification you know mm-hmm is a good thing for your safety. Um, but it might not feel like a good thing when you go through it, but somebody thought about that for you. And so for the most part, I would say we endeavor to, to make things safer, but there are definitely some gaps. And mostly it's when a bunch of people are not coming on the same page of what the design brief really is. Mm. Yeah. And of course, in the, in the book, you, you talk about some uh, designs such as those uh, uh, intended to keep um, unhomed people from laying on park benches, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of hostile design. And again, it, it's serving somebody's purpose. Like somebody's putting it there on purpose because they're trying to um, commit a kind of social change and social pressure um, and influence through the built world. Now, the thing is, that as privileged people, they're kind of doing that for you. You know, they're doing it for your benefit, mm-hmm. you know, to the detriment of people who have less. And the important part about that influence is recognizing, um, do you really want that? You know, like somebody's making this decision for you. And if uh, if you don't know about it, then obviously you can't sort of like have, you have any commentary. So our first job is to make people aware of what these spikes and these different sort of like hostile architecture, you know, like um, interventions are. And then the second step is to go like, well, is that a result you want? And uh, do you want to like interact with your city to change it? You know, it's 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 the second part of of that um, discussion. Your uh, Strode example uh, reminded me of uh, of parklets, which are also discussed in the book. Yeah. By the time the book came out, and uh, and certainly by the time of, of my reading it, like everyone, I think, in, especially in urban areas, had heard of parklets <laughs> due to yeah. their role in the the pandemic. But this, yeah. yeah, this is also an area that's between different ideas of what the the street or the road is used for. Yeah, a parklet is a really interesting thing. It, there's a sort of movement here um, called Parking Day. Um, I'm I'm in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. which sort of pioneered this idea of like, well, instead of um, you know putting a coin in a meter to uh, you know, rent a space for a car. Why don't we put coins in the meter and like lay down some sod and put on some, put mm-hmm. some um, uh, chairs down? And and this is something I've covered for I mean, I, for like twenty something years, twenty years at this point. Um, and then it really came to pass when all of a sudden we're in COVID. We wanted to be together, but we needed space away from each other and space mm-hmm. outside. And you know. When it comes to roads, you know, for millennia, they've been these large sort of multimodal uh, use cases. Like they, you know, the people walked on them, people rode bikes on them, people rode horses on them, vendors set up in the middle of them. And then over time, we just decided that, oh, they're for cars. 
you know, you know, mm-hmm. no one else belongs on them. And you, you can cross here and here. Mm-hmm. And if you cross anywhere in between, you're breaking the law. And, and that was where our values lied when it came to the design of cities. You know, it's not where I would place my personal values, but, but that's, you know, we collectively kind of thought that that was a good case. And then COVID comes along and all of a sudden the value of that space changed and we wanted it back like as, <laughs> as pedestrians and people and people um, drinking coffee. And so, you know, we decided to bump out these spaces that were used for cars so that we could be outside and, and enjoy things. And it was kind of fascinating because, you know, the, the book came out right at the kind of beginning of COVID in 2020. And it was an interesting time to think about the design of cities when this, um, you know, outside influence made us rethink, you know, how our cities should be designed um, very rapidly, you know, and, 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 and thoroughly, you know, like, because one of the things that happens when you're thinking about design or thinking about your city is there's a, there's kind of a solipsistic kind of way we enter the world is the way things are and should be. And we don't really think about the continuum we are on when it comes to how cities are designed and should be designed. Um, and so when you have a, a rapid kind of jolt to the system and there's a, a reassessment of space and the value of space in different ways, um, it's a good time to think about, hey, you know what? Maybe we do think about roads as belonging to cars, but like if you look at this book or look through history, you'll realize that roads weren't about cars. They were. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty recent phenomenon that we thought that that's what they should be. And maybe it's worth reassessing these things. And I, I think if there's any sort of thesis of the, to the book or, or to the show, it's that the built world and the things we design are a window into our values as, as humans. And they always shift and change based on those values. And when you have this moment of crisis when it comes to the pandemic, it really did change our value of what a city was for and who it was for and what was worth giving up and what wasn't worth giving up. And, um, you know, as horrible as the situation was, Mm -hmm. it was fascinating to sort of figure out those reassessments and realignments. And it, it's still like, I think some of the stuff that we figured out during that period of time, um, will still linger with us for, for a long time. And maybe they'll be completely subsumed in different types of, you know, normal life, quote unquote, normal life will return different ways. But I do think that there's like a sense that, yeah, these spaces, like we kind of want them back and we're never going to relent. (laughs) We're never going to give them back again. Um, and, and it's a, it's a, it was fascinating to watch happen as we were talking about the book so much and also to see the results of it today. All right. Well, the podcast is, of course, 99% Invisible. The book is The 99% Invisible City. Uh, Roman Mars, thanks for taking time out of your day to chat with me. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. I really enjoy the show, too, so it's a real honor to be on. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Roman Mars for taking time out of his busy day to chat with me here. Uh, Again, the podcast is 99% Invisible, and you can find 99% Invisible anywhere you get your podcasts, obviously. And the book is The 99% Invisible City, which is available in all formats. Like I said in the interview, I've got the the hard version here, the the physical copy, and it's just, it's really nice, really nice design in this. So I highly recommend it. 
As always, I want to remind you that Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a science podcast with core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesdays, we do a short-form artifact or monster fact episode. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most serious concerns and just talk about a weird film. Thanks, as always, to J.J. Posway for producing the show. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.